What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the Window Canada Sports Betting Podcast, the final four preview presented by CoolBet. Ahead on today's episode of the Window, strong takes. Jack Armstrong, March Madness and Raptors analyst for TSN here in Canada, joins me to discuss the final four and his coaching life. Coming within a point of making the tournament, rubbing elbows with the game's best coaches at the final four, and his take on shining a light on the betting side of the NCAA tournament in the future. Plus his take on the team still competing for a national title in Indianapolis. Plus my place for the final four and a Friday edition of Let's Do That Hockey. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. It's the final four preview episode presented by CoolBet. Our guest today is the number one seed in the hearts of basketball fans here in Canada. He spent nine seasons at the helm of the Niagara University Purple Eagles, but now Jack Armstrong is the game analyst for the Raptors on TSN, and every March he lends his wealth of basketball knowledge to TSN's NCAA tournament coverage, and now he joins me today. Jack Armstrong, welcome to the window. Matt, it's a pleasure being on with you and uh, looking forward to chatting some hoops with you. Thrilled to have you, Jack. The Final Four is kind of this college basketball convention, both sort of literally and figuratively. Correct me if I'm wrong now. Don't all head coaches get tickets to the Final Four? And if so, did you go when you were the coach of Niagara or at Fordham? Um, Were you able to get to a lot of Final Fours back in sort of a really a halcyon time um, for the Final Four in the late 80s, early 90s? Uh, Yeah, so every year was the coaches' convention. Uh, the uh, NABC National Association of Basketball Coaches, so which I was a member of for a long time, and uh, yeah, so we, uh, uh, yeah, I've been in a lot of Final Fours and uh, a lot of parties and a lot of uh, and the lobby, the whole lobby scene where everyone would, you know, you'd walk five feet and it'd be another, you know, you hear his, his Nolan Richardson, his Billy Tubbs, his Mike Shashevsky, his Jim K. K- Calhoun, you know, I mean, uh, Roy sure. Williams, uh, you name it, Rick Pitino, and, and everywhere you turn, there was another Division One head coach and, and obviously assistant coaches and, uh, you know, jobs are, uh, you know, going left, right, and center. People <laughs> right. are interviewing people. Athletic directors, uh, you know, have their suites set up where they're interview- interviewing candidates. It's a different world now than what that was. Sure, uh, but it was quite it was quite the scene back in the day, and uh, obviously last year with no uh, tournament, and this year uh, obviously there's no uh, convention. Hopefully uh, they're able to get back to that next year and uh, resume a lot of that. I know for me that era was this sort of you know really important time for college basketball and the popularization if you will of the tournament and of the final four do you have any specific memories or even some general sort of thoughts on uh that time in your life going to those final fours uh well obviously 85 when villanova upset uh georgetown uh that was a remarkable game and a remarkable moment uh you know to me uh Watching, you know, you mentioned Duke, uh, UNLV to see one year uh, Duke get totally destroyed uh, by UNLV. And then the next year beating them uh, was really, really cool. Um, You know, just watching those great Duke teams with Leitner, Hurley and uh, Grant Hill. uh, You know, that's when Duke was in its heyday. And I don't think you'll ever see that again. I mean, right. those days, those days are long gone. I mean, a guy like Grant Hill plays one year, Christian Leitner, those guys play one year in college basketball, if they even play at all. Um, yeah. And I think, in my opinion, I think in some, you know, the NBA will never admit it. Uh, but I think in some ways it hurts the NBA uh, because uh, there's not as much, uh, people don't connect as much with the player than when they come to the NBA. Uh, and I, I don't care. You could talk all you want about G league, this, that, the other thing. Uh, I, I just don't think there's that same marketing buildup and being able to create that. Uh, so it's different. Uh, I, I, you know, the NBA navigates around that and does a good job with it. 
but I, I think it has an impact on people's connection with the player. Uh, a lot, you know, I mean, people would follow Grand Hill's entire pro career, you know, yeah. or Vince Carter out of North Carolina or whatever. Uh, there's a relationship built. Uh, and I think it's really had a detrimental effect on college basketball because literally you don't even know who's on the team every year. Guys are transferring left, right, center. You know, you saw Roy Williams retire yesterday. And, um, you know, I, I totally understand. And I've coached against Roy before many times, actually, when I was an assistant at Fordham. He was an assistant at Carolina. And then I coached against him as a head coach when he was at Kansas and I was at Niagara. So I know Roy and uh, I could totally understand his frustration. I would say Roy is a young 70 right. uh, and, and probably could have gone longer. You look at Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski, they're older than, than, than uh, Roy and they're still going. I don't know how much longer they'll go. Um, but I, I could see the, the frustration and, it, the, you know, you lose a five-star recruit this past off season and you're like, what is going on here? Uh, right. it's just, it, it's, uh, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a challenging time as much as I love college basketball, as much as I love the NBA and I love the sport of basketball. Uh, I think it's a challenging time for leadership in both levels of, of the sport, uh, so to me, I, I you know I think uh, I wouldn't say it's at a crossroads, uh, but college basketball is is uh, I'm glad the tournaments happen. I think it's been great, uh, but they got to get their house in order. It's interesting that you say that because you know you coached at a time where in college basketball, like senior leadership was really important, and your best team, or you know maybe it isn't, but it certainly was the closest to make the NCAA tournament, was the '93 team, and you end up you know one point short of making the NCAA tournament. Then you go on to the NIT and you face a Boston College team that had Howard Isley on it, who was like four years away or three years away from playing in the NBA Finals with the Utah Jazz. And that Boston College team the very next year went to the regional final in the NCAA tournament. You only lost by four against them. So that Niagara team had to have been pretty good. What do you remember from that 93 team and coming so close to making the tournament? Fortunately, we weren't because we lost by one on the last play of the game, which, uh, you know, changes your life, quite frankly. It was funny. Somebody mentioned it to me the other day. And I said, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have been at Niagara if we won that game because right. I uh, probably would have been the next head coach at uh, Northwestern or George Mason or Richmond. Uh, those were some jobs that were open at the time that. But you lose that game and now someone, you know, the musical chairs change a little bit and you're in the NIT instead of a hot young coach in the NCA. I felt really confident that, uh, you know, we could play with anybody. And, you know, the, and the team in Manhattan ended up playing in the tournament that year, I think was Virginia. And I thought we matched up really well against them. Um, you know, it's interesting you point out that Boston College team, not only did they have uh, Howard Isley, they had Billy Curley who played the NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that team beat uh, the number one seed, Carolina, the following, as you mentioned. Uh, but they had Stackhouse and uh, uh, Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace. That was a tremendously uh, loaded Carolina team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I that, you know, we had a lot of seniors on that team. We had four senior starters. So, uh, you know, so when I watch teams now, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to find that uh, upper, let, let alone upperclassmen. Uh, mm -hmm. But in this to in this tournament, actually, right now, we have a good sprinkling of seniors and juniors and, uh, you know, good sprinkling of young talent as well. Uh, but uh, it's funny, I was talking to a college coach the other night when I was driving home after the Raptors game. Uh, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. I, I, I have my mobile office and, I, <laughs> and I, I said, I said to this coach, I said, it's a different world now. Like it, it, when I coached, it was about program. Like literally you had a program, you know, you develop guys from freshman year on, you might red shirt guys, guys had to wait their turn. Sometimes they had to be patient. Mm -hmm. It was about getting your degree, uh, the experience uh, as a student athlete on campus, the whole thing. Now it has nothing to do with program it has everything to do with team yeah. Meaning that you, you are building for that year and that year only. It's like you're a junior college coach. Sure. 
Yeah. Uh, and literally, you know, literally, uh, you know, so that's the challenge now, in my sure. opinion, for college basketball. If you're a big donor, a season ticket holder, whatever, uh, it's hard to stay connected with the school you follow because you don't even know who these kids are year to year. There's guys coming in and out the door, and, and that, that becomes more of a challenge. And I, I think, it, Matt, it takes a different skill set now as a coach. Right. Uh, some coaches are better at that than others. Uh, some coaches are very uh, systematic, program-oriented, and others are really good in chaos of being able to uh, just throw a group of guys together and let's play. Yeah, I've talked about program on this show, and it's sort of a different definition nowadays, right? Like, it used to be, like you said, you know, three, four years, and, you know, the player that was a junior one year would then sort of step up into that role in a, as a senior. Now it's sort of a passing of the baton type of thing where, you know, the sophomore leaves the school and then, you know, but he passes it on to the guy who was the freshman the year before. It's just everything's kind of moved up from that standpoint. Uh, I would I would agree with that. I, I think it's uh, you got to be able to, uh, you know, you hope that you have a few guys returning, that there's some residue of understanding of how we play as uh, Gonzaga or UCLA or whatever, what our core uh, identity is. Uh, but in, in many cases, uh, you're, you're bringing new guys in and other guys are transferring out or whatever. Yep. And it's it's hard. Yep. It's hard. And, and, you know, you have the, uh, you know, the athlete empowerment now where, you know, they're demanding their fair share, which I support. Uh, I'm OK with that. I'm not a fan of the whole transferring thing because it's created such an unethical environment. Um, I mean, literally coaches are just putting knives in each other's back on a daily basis. So you're getting undercut uh, while you're coaching a player. Uh, you know, I mean, literally in the pros, that would be called tampering, right. you know, and, and obviously you have, I'm sh I'm, there's stuff that goes on at the pro level because you have agents involved, uh, behind the scenes that, uh, things are happening. Uh, but at the college level, and I've experienced it as a college head coach, having uh, other programs try to steal one of my players, and I've sure. had to have I've had to have vicious, vicious conversations with these guys. Where now you're fighting for your life because yeah. I lose I lose that player, and I've done nothing wrong. Right. But you're tampering with him and messing with his head and messing with the people in his life, trying to get him soured on where you where he is and get him to leave. Um, you know, that impacts you, that impacts your livelihood. Sure. Uh, so to, so to me, it's, it's a different world that you're in. So to see what a guy like, uh, Scott Drew has done at Baylor when he took over there, that was a complete disaster. It was a, a very sad situation. Uh, you see the job that, uh, Mark Few has done there, uh, at Gonzaga, uh, you know, remarkable. And, you know, you, and before Mark was there, it was Dan Monson. And prior to that, it was, uh, it was Fitz. I forget his first name, but I, I coached against Gonzaga many years ago and was a head coach at Niagara. Mark Few was an assistant okay. at Gonzaga. But they've had success uh, from different uh, groups over the years. So it's, it, 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 but it, it's different. Uh, but these guys have done a great job adapting. So from your standpoint, then, you know, tell me about your preparation, because, you know, it used to be that there'd be 15 teams that were sort of vying for a Final Four position. And if it was anybody other than those 15 teams, like they were the Cinderella. But nowadays, you know, there's a lot of different teams and a lot of different years that are really, really good. You saw San Diego State, Dayton were involved last year. And this year, you know, Alabama's all of a sudden good. So from a preparation standpoint for you, like, is there a point in the basketball season where you're sort of, you know, coming in and going like, okay, who's good this year? Uh, oh, okay. Um, I guess I need to know a lot about them. Uh, you know, it's interesting what I do every year. I have a kind of a routine that I do uh, right after Christmas holiday. Uh, I have literally in my book, I have a calendar book. People laugh because I write all my notes. I still, I'm, everything's handwritten. Um, 
But in my calendar book, uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the month of January, I spend uh, time on those days really studying college basketball. Um, and then when I get into February, literally I do it every day. And then all the okay. way through to all the way through the tournament. So, you know, I'll, I'll block out time in my day every day. It's written down. It's in my daily notes. I got to find time to do this. Uh, and then anytime I have a night off, uh, you know, literally I have I'll watch college basketball. I'll watch the NBA. You're going back and forth between commercials. You're trying to watch as much as possible yeah. and get as much of a feel about it. So. Yeah, it, and it, it's more complicated than ever. My most stressful few days are the first uh, is selection Sunday and those few days getting ready for the tournament. I feel like I'm back in college again, right. cramming for exams. And my, and my wife was like, why are you so stressed out? I said, because, you know, you're trying to get ready for 68 teams. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of work. Uh, and now it's easy. I got, you know, four, four cards sitting in front of me with four teams on them. And I know these teams inside now because I've watched UCLA five times in a tournament, sure. Houston, Baylor, and Gonzaga four times in a tournament. And I've watched them prior to that during the year. But uh, but when it's 68, it's overwhelming. And, uh, you know, when you're doing studio for it. So yeah. it's been a great experience. I've done it when I was at Sportsnet, and I've done it for years now, uh, obviously, with TSN. So uh, it's been, it's a wonderful experience. I work with great people like uh, – Kate, Kia, and Kayla, and uh, we have a lot of fun, uh, and uh, it's been a really cool experience over the years. Yeah, I imagine you go into the tournament, and you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I don't need to know a ton necessarily about Oral Roberts, you know, depending on what time they play, we might not even have to discuss them, and then all of a sudden, uh, you need two weeks worth of information to discuss Oral Roberts. Um, this is ostensibly a sports betting podcast, and the tournament is this big betting event of the year. Bracket pools are all over the place, and, you know, you guys talk a lot more about brackets than maybe you did when you first started covering it, and the idea of, you know, your bracket pool at home that, you know, people have out there, and it is part of why this event is as popular as it is, and I watched you rip up your bracket when Alabama lost the other night. I was doing the same, and again, your role is not necessarily to prognosticate, but where do you stand on the idea that this event is as popular as it is because of bracket contests and betting? And do you see this as something that's going to become more uh, part of your coverage in the years to come based on the legalization that's coming forward here, especially in Canada? Well, I'm obviously very sensitive to it because uh, as a former coach, um, sure. I'm really sensitive uh, to the whole element of uh, the integrity of the game. And, uh, you know, from a stand, we've, and we've had it unfortunately happen in college ba basketball. Uh, with point shaving and things like that. So I'm always incredibly sensitive to that uh, from my, again, from my collegiate background, because the integrity of the game is, is vital. Uh, I think what you have now, uh, you literally have sports leagues now getting in bed with uh, these large uh, casinos and different things like that. And the lines are becoming more blurry. And as long as the integrity of the game can, is there, because quite frankly, if you're someone that does uh, bet on the games or whatever, uh, you want it to be a pure product because those numbers have a lot of impact. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and as, you know, so to me, I think it's really important uh, that uh, as these leagues and the networks that pay the huge rights fees uh, begin to have a new element of, of uh, sports gambling becoming more of a, an accepted thing. It's like the legalization of marijuana and all these different types of things. Uh, there, there also needs to be uh, a true understanding from the NCA, the NHL, whatever, NFL, that they, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, whatever, MLS, whatever it is, mm -hmm. CFL, that um, you always got to keep your eye on the store. Sure. You yeah. Be, because uh, so, yes, I do see a trend. I've seen it in my own experience 
being around the NBA, not just with the Raptors, but the entire 30 team NBA, there's been a shift since I started in 1998. And here I am in my 23rd season. I've seen a shift in the NBA. I've seen Adam Silver uh, compared to David Stern uh, be a little bit more open-minded and progressive about it. Where it goes, I don't know, but I, I do think that leagues uh, are always looking for new revenue streams uh, to, to continue to grow the business. So uh, I would imagine that you'll see the NBA, the NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, all of them uh, add it more, and, and it will be more of a part of any broadcast. Now, as an analyst myself, will I be – uh, I hope not because I'm a terrible picker of games. <laughs> I'm not a good, I'm very, I, I, I don't, and I don't like doing it. Sure. But people a lot of times say, who do you think? And you, you know, who do you like in this series or who do you like? And I hate doing it because you're always pissing somebody off. <laughs> right. you know? uh, some, somebody's mad or somebody disagrees. And then when you're wrong, uh, they say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, that's not what I do. I, right. My job is to analyze the game that, the tactics, the X's and O's, the personalities, all that. Uh, but I do see uh, that becoming more of an element of, uh, of pro sports and even college sports. But I always say, let's make sure we keep our eye on the store. Mm -hmm. uh, keep, you know, it's like keeping your eye on the cash register. Yeah. At, uh, you, you better do that because when you have young people, uh, it, and I've seen it and I, I know it, uh, you know, when you have young people in situations that uh, are up against it, uh, you know, you, they, 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 there's always that concern that, uh, you know, something could go awry. And, mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to ever see that happen at the collegiate level or at the pro level. You know, we saw it in the NBA, allegedly with a, with a referee. Uh, you know, so it, that stuff's really, really important. And, and, and leagues have their own internal uh, system in place with the uh, NBA security, NFL security, uh, both from a league perspective and a team perspective. Uh, but but the more I see gambling growing uh, in that, I think they're going to have to beef that up even further. Yeah, I think you make a really good case there and sort of make the case for legalization, right? Sort of shining the light into all of the corners of the sports betting world so that you don't have the backroom bookie type atmosphere that could, you know, get into a kid's head. And you have this, you know, tracking and monitoring of these bets, right? So when there are large bets made, we know who makes those bets um, and sort of where they're coming from, right? And so the more that light that's shined into it, the better off uh, it's always going to be. And so uh, we'll get you out of here on, you know, we have to talk about the games that are coming here on Saturday. And I'm not going to ask you to pick the games. Don't worry about that. Um, it's our responsibility to get those right. I'll leave, I'll leave that to you, Matt. Yeah, we'll take the heat when we're wrong 45% of the time here on the podcast. It's what we do anyway. So as far as this Houston-Baylor game is concerned, so I'll sort of break down, you know, kind of how I think it's going to go. And fundamentally, I think it's a really evenly, ma uh, evenly matched game. Um, Houston, um, really good defensively, especially against the three-pointer. That's what Baylor does. Um, really good at offensive rebounding and not shy to shoot threes as well. And so I think they get themselves a lot of extra opportunities here against a Baylor team that doesn't necessarily um, excel at defensive rebounds. It doesn't excel at getting teams off the offensive glass. And so, you know, they're going to get extra opportunities to shoot. They are not shy of shooting them. And of course, if you have more opportunities to shoot, eh, you're going to make more of these shots. So is there anything for you that you've seen in the first four games of the tournament or your preparation in general that would sort of, you know, agree with the idea that Houston can win this game or on the flip side, disagree with the idea that Houston can win this game? Matt, I agree with you. Uh, you know, now obviously I have Baylor winning the whole thing. I felt uh, we could talk 1A, 1B. Uh, <laughs> when, when Baylor was healthy, early in the year before they got shut down for an extensive period of time for, for COVID uh, health and safety protocols, they were as good a team as Gonzaga in my eyes, my eye tests, watching them play. I'm like, damn, they're really good. That's a really, really good college team. Now they're starting to look again like that team 
They still have moments, though, that I go, eh, you know, they, they take a player two off and an elite team, you can't have that. So I, I, when I say take a play off, I think it's some of that still fitness and conditioning coming back from that. Um, but I think they're getting closer and closer. I think they're really good. I mean, their guard play, obviously, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, uh, Teague. I mean, you know, they got some big thumpers up front that can bang a little bit. Damba and, you know, I mean, they're good. They're really good. They played an excellent conference. Now, Houston, to me, uh, a few things that they do well. They defend the three well. And Baylor, obviously, that's a big part of it. So how does that play itself out, Matt? And and Houston is, in my opinion, uh, probably along with UCLA, they got the whole junkyard dog thing going. And I tell you what, uh, you know, again, UCLA. It's you could say, well, UCLA, but I tell you what, they are they get they get after you, sure, and they play hard, really hard. So Houston, to me, isn't pretty. They don't shoot it well, but they guard the you know what out of you, and and they offensive rebound and they go get it. It's funny. I called the Raptors Oklahoma City game the other night. And, you know, I talk about defensive execution and then defensive conversion. You force the missed shot. All right, you execute it. Now you got to convert. You got to <laughs> go get the defensive rebound. The Raptors got their tails kicked on the defensive glass. Right. And to me, that's an element of the game that let's see how tough Baylor is. Let's see how fit physically Baylor is. If they're now getting back where they get legs are under them again, I think they're better than Houston. They're more talented than Houston. Uh, they got more uh, options. On the other hand, they better be able to sustain. And that was the one concern I had uh, when they played Arkansas, that there were times where they kind of let up and they let Arkansas back in it. And Houston's not going away. I mean, I love Marcus Sasser and Quentin Grimes. Uh, Dejan Giroux is as good a player as you're going to find. I mean, he's a, he, he impacts the game on a multitude of fronts. So I would say uh, I, I would not be surprised if Houston upset Baylor. On the other hand, uh, I, I give a slight edge right now to Baylor uh, I, because if, if they are right or more right than they've ever been, right. uh, uh, I think they just are better, uh, but not by much. Uh, it yeah. should be I'm a, I think that'll be the better game. It might not be pretty to watch, but it'll be the better game. Yeah, exactly. Baylor, a five-point favorite in the first game. And then it gets you know a little dicier with Gonzaga being a 14-point favorite in that second game. But, you know, so I don't know necessarily, you know, is Gonzaga going to win by 10? Are they going to win by 20? You know, I think we probably both agree that they are going to win this game. But for me, what's interesting, and I kind of want to get your take on the idea of pace. And, you know, I think UCLA, it's always easier to kind of drag a game into the mud a little bit here. And with Mick Cronin and Tiger Campbell sort of combining here to take as much time as they can off the clock. Like, you'll watch Tiger Campbell, like, he will cross the half court line at, like, 21 seconds left in the shot clock, basically kicking away nine seconds every time UCLA has the ball, right? So they're keeping possessions down here. So I think this ends up being a low-scoring game and that this game ends up going under. But from a coaching standpoint for you, do you look at Mick Cronin and are just like, man, like, this guy's got it. Like, this guy has his hands all over this game. Like, we watched him, you know, argue a call for a, you know, a, a foul that, you know, wasn't even remotely close to being a foul. And I think that he got uh, a quote unquote makeup call because of arguing that call on the very next play where there was an offensive foul on Michigan in that game on Tuesday night. So from a coaching standpoint, are you just looking at this guy going like he is controlling everything that's going on with his team? Two things. Number one, I, I've known Mick a long time. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed watching his career develop uh, now as a head, head coach at Cincinnati and, and now as a head coach at, uh, uh, at UCLA. Uh, he's done an amazing job with this team. I stayed up late, uh, watched the playing game where they beat Michigan State in overtime. And that was it was an ugly game. But I tell you what, both teams left their heart and soul on the court. 
Uh, and I then I'm, I'm then I'm in studio the next day at noon calling games for whatever. But I really enjoyed the game. And I tell you what, I really enjoyed the game the other night against UCL against Michigan. Here's a, uh, the other element. You, you mentioned Tiger Campbell. The other guy that really helps their team a lot is the kid Jaime Jaquez. Yeah. He is a point forward, and he is a big, strong guy. Uh, what is he, about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, mm-hmm. But he is, he's got great instincts as a point forward. So they'll milk the clock eight, nine seconds, and then they run a lot of actions where they get Jaquez the ball, and then he creates the next action at the back end of the clock. And the thing I love about him is he finds ways to get open, and when he gets it, he's strong as you know what with the ball. And then a lot of times they run actions and they get Johnny Juzang uh, shot opportunities, and they're usually good high-percentage shot opportunities at the back end of the clock. So pace is really important. Here's the other element of UCLA that they've done a great job. You look at their five games. If I'm not mistaken, they've won the turnover margin battle every game. Uh, you know, the takeaway giveaway category. So uh, Gonzaga wants to play fast. As you can see, Matt, they're, uh, they will on made field goals, made free throws, dead balls. They'll extend and play full court press because they're trying to they're trying to get you to play faster. Um, that was the one thing when I look at it, kind of a Michigan or a team like that. Uh, I, I think I, not enough people tried to speed up UCLA. And even when they did, like in Alabama, UCLA found a way uh, to break pressure, get the ball up the court, and then grind again. So, you know, Gonzaga is going to have to be really tough uh, uh, defensively uh, tomorrow uh, and, and not let – they got to be relentless. And there are going to be times that they got to pitch it ahead and take maybe even questionable shots just to get the tempo going. Sure. But uh, if this game's slow – uh, UCLA can hang around and make it difficult for Gonzaga. If this game's fast, uh, I just think Gonzaga's too good at that pace because the ball just hums. They get great shots. They move it. They share it. Uh, but, you know, when I look and I look at a team like Gonzaga beyond uh, Corey Kispert, they don't shoot it great uh, from, from three. I mean, uh, Kispert's right around 45% from three. The rest of the guys – collectively are around 34, 35% from three. So, uh, you know, they're a team you can kind of, uh, if, you, if you're into Kispert and don't give them clean looks, the other guys, if you know, maybe sometimes aren't going to make those threes. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, a guy that's done a good job, the kid Cody Riley for UCLA, mm-hmm. uh, he's done a really good job. And I tell you what, the guy Drew Timmy for Gonzaga, that'll be a good matchup to watch. I thought Timmy totally outplayed the Mobley brothers for USC. Kick, kick there, you know what? <laughs> and and, and uh, but I, you know, but those guys are different. Like uh, the Mobley brothers are more lean, quick, uh, kind of gazelle types that go up and down, sure. and they're more athletic and quick. Whereas a guy like a Cody Riley's a uh, you know he'll 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 put the body to him. Yeah, that guy is an adult. Right? Like he's an adult out there. And so it'll be a little different battle with Drew Timmy. But Timmy's got great feet. He's got beautiful hands. Uh, He's skilled. He can really pass it. He's crafty. Uh, He he knows how to play. He's a very talented post player. So, again, I think Gonzaga has more weapons. But I think UCLA is tough as nails. And uh, to me – uh, again, I like Baylor and Gonzaga, and I like you know Baylor and Gonzaga to be in the final game. I picked Baylor to win the whole thing again, but what do I know? <laughs> uh, believe me, I don't know much. Yeah, your bracket's already in shambles on the store on the floor of the studio, so it doesn't really matter now. You're off the hook, right? I'm off. It don't matter. But <laughs> it, it, it's uh, I, I, I'm hoping and praying that UCLA can slow the tempo. I'm hoping and praying that it, it is a nail-biter type game. Uh, I think it would probably be good for Gonzaga to have to earn it a little bit. Uh, so uh, we'll see. But I, I, I do think that Gonzaga, talent-wise and uh, chemistry and all that other stuff, they're better. 
I'm going to squeeze one more question on here, and I'll get you out of here on this, Jack. Um, I, you know, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Raptors in all of this, because, you know, there's a possibility, as the season kind of, you know, falls off the rails here a little bit, that, you know, they might end up with a top five draft pick. And there's been a handful of guys, obviously, in this tournament, a little bit more interesting than the tournament would have been last year for NBA fans, because I think outside of Obi Toppin, you know, there wasn't a lot of top talent that were on the good teams. Like, it was a very strange year from that standpoint. This year, you know, all of the top 10, essentially, have been in this tournament, with the exception of the guys who obviously aren't in college basketball. So is there anybody that you've watched in your preparation over the course of this tournament that you're, you know, looking at going, like, God, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if the Raptors ended up with a top five type pick? Is there anybody that you see that would fit into what the Raptors do? It's interesting. And again, it always comes down to the philosophical discussion of you draft for need or you draft best player available on your board. Um, the Raptors have that challenge on both fronts. They have need and the need is front court. And at the same time, uh, they also do an amazing job from a developmental and coaching standpoint. So even if you go best player available, you got a really talented coach in Nick Nurse who uh, can figure it out with whatever you give them. Um, so to me, uh, the kid Mobley from USC, um, I'm not comparing him to Chris Bosh, but he's got a lot of the same stuff. When I watched Chris Bosh at Georgia Tech, uh, there was some elements of his game that remind me a little bit of Chris at Georgia Tech. And obviously Chris ended up having a heck of a pro career. Um, and unfortunately for Chris, he ended up being on some Raptor teams that weren't very good. Um, and he's, uh, as we could see when he went to Miami, he's a phenomenal player. You play with LeBron and Wade. I mean, Chris, in my opinion, is a Hall of Famer. Sure. Uh, when it's all said and done, I was happy for him to be nominated. Jack, what am I missing with the other Mobley, Isaiah Mobley? It's almost like if it wasn't for his younger brother, Evan, we'd be talking more about a guy who I think can probably do a lot of stuff at the next level. He's really good. Isaiah is really good player, too. Uh, so both Mobley brothers are excellent. Uh, I like them both a lot. Uh, and I think his brother can play in the league as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Jalen Suggs. I think he's a really good two-way player. Uh, I think he can impact the game on a number of fronts. Uh, yeah, uh, Kate Cunningham is a, a special talent uh, from Oklahoma State. Uh, he really impressed me every time I watched them play. Uh, the question, you know, from a Raptor standpoint is, uh, you know, as bad as things have been right now in the month of March, and here we are, I don't know if it's April 2nd or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to me, I look at uh, the Raptors. They're still, you know, I mean, everyone's freaking out about this, that, the other thing. I, I think if they're healthy, they can catch Chicago and they can play in the playing game. And I tell you what, if you play the Raptors in a playing situation, uh, I kind of like their pedigree and their chances in that. Sure. And, you know, some Raptor fans aren't going to like that uh, because they want them to go the other way. Uh, but I, uh, to me, I, I can't see how they can't catch Chicago. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, the game that's going to be really critical is this upcoming Thursday where the Raptors play the Bulls. Uh, they lost to the Bulls the last time they played in Chicago. Uh, but this time around, uh, to me, if you're going to make the playing game, that's the game you got to win. So I know they got Golden State tonight. And they got, uh, who is it, Washington and the Lakers coming up these next three games. Okay. But, but next Thursday is the, the one I have circled the red because if they're going to make the play-in game, that's the game they got to win. Um, and, again, many fans don't want that to happen. And I, 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 and I get it. I've been, I've been here through all the ups and downs. Yeah. Good times, bad times. We've been spoiled the last seven years. But I, I, I totally uh, see uh, the point of some of the fans as well saying, hey, you know, we need we need uh, some upgrade uh, in talent level. And I don't disagree with that. I think sure. I think if you ask Messiah, Jared, Bobby Webster, and Nick Nurse that they they'd agree with that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think if they are in the lottery and they they get fortunate, maybe with a ping pong ball or two here and there. Uh, that yeah, I'd be excited for some of the young guys that are that are, that are coming out this year.
well, maybe it's the best of both worlds, and the Raptors make the play-in game. They have maybe a little playoff run in them, but they still end up with sort of a mid-level pick in the first round, and they get Isaiah Mobley. And wouldn't that just work out nicely for everybody involved? Jack, I can't tell you how um, happy I am to have this conversation with you, and I really appreciate your time. Everybody in Canada can watch Jack this weekend on TSN's coverage of the NCAA tournament. Jack, thanks again for joining us at the window. Pleasure, and uh, hope uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend and uh, enjoy the NCAA tournament. And then obviously, uh, then it's uh, for me. Once I get done with Monday, then I'm back all in on the NBA again with the Raptors. But uh, it, it's it's fun. I enjoy doing both, and uh, it's uh, you know it's the craziest time of year for me with so many games going on but i love every bit of it awesome stuff from jack armstrong there uh how much fun was that uh we'll take a quick break and on the other side just to reiterate what we're doing for the bets here for the final four this weekend and a little let's do that hockey after a uh bummer of a night in florida last night that's coming up right after this Quick interruption to remind you that CoolBet.com is the presenting sponsor for the Windows March Madness coverage. There's still time to sign up and double your deposit up to $200 of free money to bet with. If you're looking to try single game sports betting for the first time or you're looking to add to your sportsbook repertoire, CoolBet.com is offering to double your deposit up to $200. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Otherwise, simply go to CoolBet.com, create your account, and enter the promo code WINDOW to double your deposit. Terms and conditions apply. Now, back to the betting talk. All right, to reiterate from yesterday, um, I like Houston in this game. Talked about it with Jack. I like Houston uh, to cover the spread at plus five here, and I think they have a very reasonable chance to win this game outright, especially relative to the money line price, which of course is still hovering around plus 180 in the second game. I don't know, again, if Gonzaga is going to blow out UCLA or they're going to just comfortably win this game where we end up looking at a 16-point game, a 10-point game late, something Something along those lines. I don't think they're going to be necessarily tested because I think this game is going to be a low scoring, low possession type game because I think UCLA and Mick Cronin can, you know, shorten this game essentially. And when you're shortening the game, that means every possession is that much more valuable. And I think Gonzaga can still play that game. I still think they can win that game better than Alabama could, better than Michigan could. And so for me, I like the under here, obviously the best number you can possibly get, but under 145 and a half is good enough there as well. And as we talked about yesterday in the podcast, super fun uh, element with coolbet.com that they have a very specific window podcast parlay that they've juiced up the odds to. So it's Houston to win the game outright and the under 145 and a half between Gonzaga and UCLA. Both of them win normally. That's priced at about four uh, plus 430-ish depending on your book. And again, if you don't have Coolbet, you don't have access to Coolbet, you can play along and make that parlay as well if you'd like to. But um, to sort of cap off our partnership for this tournament, they've juiced that parlay up to plus five. So I'll be cheering for Houston to win the game outright and then for basically nothing to happen of interest in that second game. Uh, maybe we'll get friend of the podcast Ashish Barty out there with his iron. Um, for those of you who don't know, you know, there's an elaborate story about that for the last, from the last couple of days. Um, so anyway, yeah, fundamentally that's the situation with regards to you know these two games. And Monday, of course, we'll talk about whatever matchup we get for the final and have a play for that game as well. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. And we can't forget about Laszlo. Let's do that hockey last night. And when you go on a podcast and you write a preview for the Action Network the way we do, and you only have one play on the night, and it's a plus 200, plus 205 to 10 uh, type of an underdog, yeah, it's kind of a big matzo ball out there, especially in opening day where you've got people like, I went five and two in baseball and like just, you know, absolute random baseball talk that's happening. And you're just sitting there going like, I like the Red Wings plus 200 against the Panthers. Is, is anybody into that? 
And of course, it goes exactly how you would expect it to go. It goes to, you know, Detroit scores first. Great news. Florida gets essentially one good chance in the first period. They score on it. Uh, Detroit takes the lead in the third period, two to one. And now we're just clinging to existence there. And it doesn't look like Florida's putting up much of a fight from an even strength standpoint. And sure enough, um, we have a shoot it over the glass penalty for delay of game for Detroit, which of course means that Florida goes on the power play. And I don't have to tell you what happens next, given the fact that, you know, you've seen this before. Uh, and it literally takes them, I think, three seconds to score on the power play and have that game go 2 2. But even then, you're sitting there and you're going, well, 2 2 in overtime plus 200 like we're happy to take these teams into overtime you know in a tie game i mean i think every time a overtime winner from a minus 240 favorite goes in the net um you know an angel loses its wings um and so you know you're just sitting there going like oh is there any way we can possibly get an overtime win here with a plus 200 type underdog and of course the answer is no florida scores a goal that you know I'm not even really sure they know that they scored uh, at this point. From an expected goals for, expected goals against, it was, it was exactly what we would be looking for. 1.35 for Florida, 1.31 for Detroit. 6-5 to five were the high danger chances. So again, an incredibly even game being played out there. So from a value standpoint, if you want minus 240 for an incredibly evenly played game, you can have minus 240 for an incredibly uh, closely played game. We're happy to take the plus 200, especially once we get to overtime. It would just be nice if these hit even 50% of the time, even 40% of the time, so that they felt a little bit more profitable than they actually are. But again, the model does what the model does, right? The model, the let's do that hockey model, is trying to decide whether there's value on a team, especially at even strength. And that was what happened yesterday. As for tonight, um, just one game. Oh, I should mention yesterday, Calgary and Ottawa like a per almost a perfect situation um you know how how we bet ottawa and for those that are sort of new to the podcast how we bet ottawa is and i promise you if you went through and you looked at all of their results and they're always going to be plus 150 plus 200 plus 250 if you looked at all their results and you just wiped out the times that they were scored on in the first 10 minutes before they got a goal right so they go down one nothing in the first 10 minutes if you just wiped out all of those games and you just took every game that they played where you know they were tied through 10 minutes you would be up this season on betting on the ottawa senators and so that's why we wait till live bet them and to see if we can get through the first 10 minutes and whether they're going to give up a goal maybe the goaltending's terrible where they give up two three goals early on or maybe the you know the skaters just get absolutely bummed out by the fact that their goaltending is bad well i'm just about and once we hit that 10 minute mark i literally pick up my phone and i'm just about to say like looks like it's okay to take a, tr a shot here with ottawa plus 150 live and as i'm doing that they give up a goal about 40 seconds after that 10 minute mark and take a lead over montreal and it's not like oh that's great then we get a better price on ottawa because it's not a belief that they're going to win the game it's a belief about value and once ottawa gets through the first 10 minutes it's a trend it's what they do it's what we've learned from watching them play is that once they get through that 10 minutes they become a valuable bet and it's not because they're losing all of a sudden they have more value because the number's plus 250 or 300 or something along those lines it doesn't matter it's too late they are behind the eight ball and that's how they react to being behind the eight ball and so they end up going down two nothing and end up losing i think it was like four one something along those lines but again using this strategy learning about these teams and analyzing how they react in different game situations you know, in some cases it'll win you money and in other cases it will save you from losing money. And so that's what happened with Ottawa and Montreal last night. So I'm glad that we avoided going in before the game started when it comes to the Senators. Anyway, as for tonight, and this is going to send shockwaves throughout the community. Uh, if you haven't checked it out already, I wrote a preview on the Action Network for the Leafs and the Jets tonight. And what you're not going to believe here, again, shockwaves, we're on the Leafs tonight. 
And here's why. Again, we talked about the Leafs at the start of this season, and you're just like, how is this team winning every single game when they were playing at an even strength level of about 5% above average? And of course, how are they winning games? Well, they were scoring every time on the power play, and they were converting a ton of those high danger chances that, you know, the few of which that they got at even strength. And so they were able to win a ton of games over and over and over again, 3-1, 3-2, etc., and then the worm started to turn a little bit from the results standpoint. But the crazy thing is they've actually been much better at even strength over the course of the last 13 games or so where they've been, I think five and eight is the record over the course of the last 13 games. Check out the preview on the Action Network for more specifics uh, when it comes to that. But the point is, is like they're actually at 16% above average even strength in these last games. Now, obviously the power play has gone, I don't want to say cold, but certainly, you know, no longer best in the league, which means there's been a pretty significant regression to their mean when it comes to their power play, which again, incredibly predictable and incredibly predictive based on the fact you know that that's what our model does and so they've actually been incredibly unlucky over the course of this last portion of the season so they go from being incredibly lucky to incredibly unlucky and at some point like we're going to get just a stretch here where their results actually match up how they play and so I don't know if that's happening tonight against Winnipeg but based on the fact that you know if you take these 13 games here and have them at 16%, that boosts their rating for how they're playing right now quite a bit. Now we know what the Winnipeg Jets are about, right? Poor five on five play relative to their opponent, but somehow pulling out victories. The difference here tonight is Jack Campbell. And 4-0 so far in his four games that he's started, um, incredibly good numbers, doesn't even you know qualify yet for a goal saved above average number, but at 1.00 goals against and like a 960 save percentage, I think we're talking um, about you know a guy who I think is taking the starting job here for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he should if he's playing this well. And so if we're no longer factoring in the goaltending that was meh with Frederick Anderson or... Um, you know, any of the replacements here down the stretch here for the, the Maple Leafs, then, you know, the rating has to go up and up and up, especially with their five on five play being 16% here over the course of basically a month of games. And so now all of a sudden, and I hate, it's crazy to say it, I think there's a tiny bit of value here on the Leafs, as long as you can get about minus 140 here against the Jets. My numbers come out to about minus 135. That's not factoring in how good Jack Campbell has been. We're going to need him in the crease tonight um, as part of this bet. So that's definitely going to be a thing where we're going to have to keep our eye on. But that's the only play tonight. Um, look over the course of the weekend for any hockey plays as well. Probably going to have a preview up for Saturday's game, uh, a game on Saturday uh, for the Action Network. Otherwise, I'll tweet out anything that's played. Of course, that will always be played on the Action Network uh, app at Authentic there. And of course, at Emros Authentic on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review, and share the podcast, the underscore window underscore podcast on BetSperts. And check out CoolBet.com. Not too late to do that. Uh, the promo code window, remember. Uh, until Monday for the national final, I'll see you at the window.